are listening to Fast Track Podcast, the place to be to fast track your personal finance or fast track your business or both. Through a series of conversations with those who have learned it, done it, and made it. Today, I have Lionel with me. He runs the biggest Swiss German YouTube channel, and you might have come across his content online. He was born in 1997, but since 2015, he produces Swiss German videos. And in 2020, he also started making Chinese videos. But however, the main part of his identity is still being a law student, which you might not have guessed. And we cannot find this part of his identity online. But today, we will get to know him as a person. And on your behalf, I will ask him all the questions about his YouTube channel, content creation. And how he lives a life as a YouTuber. <laughs> Welcome to Fast Track Podcast, Lionel. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Very glad to have you here, and so eager to ask you more questions about YouTube creation, passive income, etc. All the topics that my audience is interested in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad to answer all your questions, and I'm sure I can、uh, talk about some interesting topics today. Sure. So let's start with the first question.、Uh, why did you start a YouTube channel? So I remember it was early 2015. I was in the second last grade of high school, and I was looking online to find somebody doing like these street interviews in Swiss German, and I couldn't find anybody. And I was really looking for about a full month. And after about a month of really not finding anybody doing these kind of videos, I thought, okay, then there is really nobody. So let's try this out. I think there might be some people interested in these kind of videos. So let's give it a try. And the try has become a try into a six-year-long video making, recording, uploading exercise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't believe it's six years now. Time flies. However, there have been two years where I couldn't make videos. Once when I was in、uh, Taipei and Beijing, and once when. My、uh, studies were just so time-consuming that I had to tell my audience, "I'm sorry, I must take a break. Otherwise, I'm going to have really bad grades." It's amazing to think that 2015 to me sounds like it was yesterday, but it's already six years ago. That's kind of—it's <laughs> hard to grasp. I really have to tell you. Yeah, and you now run the biggest Swiss German YouTube channel. I think today I saw it's about around seventy-six thousand subscribers. Just give everybody a perspective. So Switzerland is a small country with small population, and the Swiss German speaking part is just one part of the whole Switzerland. So having seventy-six thousand followers is amazing. We cannot compare to the scale. As in China, I'm sure you know more about it. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Then, how did you grow it over the years? Did you notice a natural demand for street interviewing videos, or did you do some promotions, or what other you know factors help you grow the channel? So, I think there's been a number of factors. I definitely saw that once people saw that my street interviews were successful, they were copying it. Sometimes even making funnier videos than me. However, luckily for me, they never really committed to it long term as I did. And I also was approached by、uh, Rinie AG, which is the、uh, corporation that runs the Blick am Abend, Blick TV, Blick like the whole、um, uh, the, the media world、yeah. in Switzerland. Yeah, exactly. And they said they were interested in my videos to show them on their platforms, run their own、uh, pre-roll, mid-roll ads, etc., etc., and just pay me for these videos as well. 
which made it incredibly easy for me to plan what expenses can I risk with the video because I knew there was somebody going to buy it to show it to their audience exclusively anyways. Uh, this certainly helped because I didn't need to find any other student job or something to be financially afloat, but I could rather just produce these videos and still make enough money to support myself and my studies. Well, is that by chance that someone liked your video and then the company contacted you and uh, sponsored you like that? Well, it wasn't that big of a sponsorship, to be fair. It wasn't like I said in every video, hey, this video is sponsored by Ringy or something. It was not like that. It was really just, I produced the video, this is the product, and then I sell them the product, but I can still use it on my platforms. For example, this is just one way of income stream, but there's also four different possibilities to make income through YouTube. The most classic one is just the pre-roll ads or the mid-roll ads, which means that if somebody watches your YouTube video, they will see a little ad before the video actually plays, and then you will make a little bit of money through them seeing this ad. So I'm pretty open about like financial details because this is a podcast about money. For example, at the moment, I produce four videos per month, and with the views on YouTube itself, I could make around almost 1,000 US dollars. So it's like 250 US dollars per video. But then this is not really the main part of income. I really like outsourcing as much as possible. So I don't edit my videos myself anymore. It's somebody doing it for me. But because the cutter has to be Swiss, because they have to understand what's happening in the videos. They have to understand what's my humor. They have to get it. What's the funny answer? So for this reason, they must be Swiss. I cannot... You cannot uh, outsource to other countries. I cannot, I cannot ask somebody in India or Pakistan or something to do that and pay maybe you know $25 or something. This is somebody from Switzerland who needs to be paid higher. So through the YouTube revenue, this mostly goes for my cutters. Not all of it, of course, but a big part of it goes for my cutters. But then there's still the second and most, for me, most valuable income stream, which is product placement. So if somebody wants to, let's say I am producing a, a soft drink or something, I want people to buy this soft drink. I'll ask a YouTuber or a content creator to show this soft drink in a video. And then I'll pay these content creators for showing this product. And this is my main you know, income stream. And it's very interesting because you had Thomas as a guest in your podcast. I think his main income stream is affiliate links, which is for me is really low, <laughs> but it's very interesting. So it means you can really base your, your income streams on different things. But I just want to say they still can do uh, affiliate links and you can also be paid to just show up on some event and uh, you know have a chat with some moderator. Right. And actually nowadays even more your online presence or your social influence becomes a currency. Indeed, indeed. It's interesting to, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of people on the street, they are really curious if you can actually make money off of that or if you need like way more subscribers. And, you know, I can tell in the best month I've ever had, I made more than 10,000 Swiss francs in a month alone with the YouTube videos in Swiss German with a really, really small market. Yeah. Which is amazing to think about, but it's possible. I mean, I have to say this was a, a while ago and then I had a, to take a break through to my studies. So now I'm just relaunching the whole thing since about two months. So this means at the moment I cannot make 10,000 per month, obviously. Yeah. But it's just when people ask me about this, or it's also an example, sometimes people think they want to do a product placement and they will just give me something for free. For example, like... A, <laughs> A pillow. I've been asked for a pillow. It's nice and appreciated, but a pillow is just not worth what I can return. Yeah. 
So people don't really, or there's still a lot of people, I think in Switzerland, that haven't really understood that this is serious business and not just some guy just asking random stuff on the street, sacrificing his free time for that. Yeah, you mean people don't understand, you mean the companies, the brands, they don't want... No, they do, they do. They are professionals. I would really say they are really professionals. I've seen a huge change between 2015 and 21. I really would say so. This is so different now, the approach, than it was back then. So this I cannot say anymore. But there's a lot of, you know, I would say private individuals that have maybe some idea for their small side business. And they think what I do is just for free. It's like, it's my work, but they could somewhat profit of it for free, which is kind of depressing for me because I want people to understand that each video is 12 hours of work time. Thankfully, I don't have to do all 12 hours by myself. I just do the recording and the uploading. The editing, I've now outsourced, but it's still time that is being worked and being paid. So yes. people don't understand that. Or yeah. some people don't understand that. I think for YouTubers, content creators they are on your side like they get a taste of it they know how how much time does it take to plan your content to create your content to edit your to upload and then to manage the channel it's really time consuming yeah a lot of work that goes into it i don't really feel it as being work but technically i would have to if, if i was writing down every minute that i was working i would have to write this down as well so for example that is replying to comments i don't know a lot of people don't reply to comments anymore these days on youtube i still try to reply and read everything which is sometimes difficult because my most viewed video has like more than one million views on on youtube and another one and a half million views on facebook then a lot of comments come together so this is a bit difficult to read all of them and impossible to reply to all of them but now with my comeback there's not that many video um, many people watching the first videos i can still reply to a lot of comments so technically i would need to write down every minute of spending time with that but i just this doesn't really feel like work right and how did you find time to create content and manage your channel it's more like manage your own business and study at the same time yeah i am actually a bit surprised that I was able to do that, if I may be honest with you, because it was not always that easy. And I try to, you know, stay organized as much as possible. But I would say what I'm good at is, you know, the 80-20 rule? Yeah, like the, the first, Pareto. Yeah. Exactly. You spent the first 20% of your time doing 80% of the work, right? And I really, I think most of my projects, I would say, okay, I've, I've reached 80% now. Is it worth going further? Or is this already a product that is where is like good to put on the market let, let to speak in terms of youtube videos or at university which i spend more time for than youtube i feel like for example i go to class i really i always go to class there's a lot of students that they only do something when the exam is coming but i think because i always go to class i always you know stay attentive through class it makes it a bit easier to prepare the exams even though i must admit now the last exam period was I didn't really get good grades that time, but normally it works. Wow. Yeah. And so funny because you talk about like uh, some people skip classes in when I was in business school and one of the classmates did a calculation. How much does each lesson cost? Because the tuition feels so expensive. It's a business school <laughs> and it was so expensive that people don't want to skip classes. <laughs> oh, that's so smart. Unfortunately, on my university, this doesn't work because most universities in Switzerland are state subsidized. So one semester at my university is only 1,200 Swiss francs, which is about the same amount in dollars. Yeah. Or what would it, yeah. I don't know, 
yeah. around 1,100, 1,000, yeah. Yeah, like mostly the same. So this is not that much than maybe like the fees for the books and the stuff, but all in all, it's pretty, you know, education in Switzerland, I would say yeah. it's pretty cheap. Yeah. At least if it's state subsidized and it's it's good education. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Next, I want to talk about the content creation because now we talk about the time management for the content creation. How did you think about what, what kind of content you want to produce? Do you have a plan and what's your workflow? I cannot stress this enough. Trial and error really works. I'm such a big fan of that now. Like I started the videos with serious questions and serious answers. There, by coincidence, there was somebody with a really, really dumb answer. And that's what, how I figured out. The dumber the answer, the more people are going to watch my videos. And since that, I'm, I've been chasing for, you know, dumb answers mostly. So, uh, like, for example, I will go to the street and ask, what's the square root of 49 or something? You don't think how difficult it is for some people to answer. Or, like, what other countries share borders with Switzerland or who is the Federal Council of Switzerland, which is like our yeah. government. Yeah. And then the reason... basic questions. <laughs> it was just so funny because the reason why I watched your video, you asked, what is the capital city of uh, Japan, which the Olympics game just yeah. finished? And you said, the place where they have this Olympic games. And then people were like, yeah. oh, I don't know. It's incredible, but it is exactly what people want to see. It's like, I would say around 2017 to 19, there's been a really big hype from a lot of content creators that were doing the same. but. I have started it a bit earlier and I'm still doing it. So the people watching my videos now are really the long term in like people that are interested in these kind of videos long term. The only difficulty for me right now is that I have to come up with new questions all the time. And I've made more than 200 videos on YouTube. I think it's 300 or something because I do it weekly. So imagine each video has like seven, eight questions times 300. It's really, I must come up with new stuff all the time. Sometimes I can repeat questions that I haven't used in a very long time, but all in all, I have to constantly come up with new questions and it is difficult. That for me right now is the most difficult thing. For example, I'm going to a winter tour just this afternoon to do a round of interviews. And then if there's enough time, I try to do winter tour and St. Gallen, which is two Swiss cities in the Eastern part of Switzerland in one and the same day. So I have to come up with around 18 questions now. I haven't thought of a single one yet. This is really going to be work after this podcast. <laughs> Besides the questions, do you plan which day you are filming? Like, how do you plan yes. the backlogs of your videos? Yes. So when I'm filming is mostly weather related because I'm filming outside. And if it's raining, which is why this summer was particularly difficult, if it is raining, I cannot go filming because people don't like rain. So people tend to be a bit more unfriendly. They won't have the time for an interview. They won't be relaxed. Plus, it's also difficult because I have to cover my equipment the whole time. And I have to blur out the raining sound on the video. So it's so annoying that I just don't go when it's raining. So for that reason, when it's sunshine, I try to produce two videos in one day. It doesn't always work. Sometimes I have to, you know, I finish in one place and I see hmm, it's just so late already. I cannot produce another place in the same day. I think one of the things you underestimate is that in these videos, even though it looks like a normal conversation to the viewer, but I constantly have to be present. I have to be in the lead. I have to be kind of like, it sounds kind of weird, but I have to be somewhat dominant to keep the talking flow going. Yeah. And this takes a lot of, you know, I need to drink a lot of, you know, energy or coke. Yeah. Yeah. And is it difficult to get people talking? We are like, we are talking about Swiss people, right? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so yes, it is. It was very difficult at the beginning, but I mean, look at me. I don't look like somebody who is like particularly dangerous to to other people. Uh, so I think now, I somewhat, I use psychology a little bit to get them to you know answer my questions or be more willing to answer my questions. For example, in the past. I used to ask, excuse me, sir, would you have five minutes for your interview? And this sounds so boring. This doesn't work. I was like, maybe two out of 10 people were saying yes. Now I will ask, I'm sorry, can I, I think it doesn't really work in English, but I'm going to try to really translate it as best as possible. Can I get you for five minutes? Like, can I grab you for five minutes? And it's somewhat, it's like a little bit, not unfriendly, but a bit more offensive than just being so polite and easy to reject. And then I also I slightly nod and it's interesting. I smile and I do slightly nodding. And actually this has really increased the amount, like I would say the percentage of people that say, okay, I have time for that. So I would say now it's maybe four to five out of 10. So I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. And uh, at the beginning of the question, I was talking that oh now we are talking about Swiss people because it's kind of more reserved and other nationalities let's say Latin Americans or the styles of Europe yeah it's very interesting like where did you get this courage just to go there and talk to random people I mean what do I have to lose right I think if you can it's a skill that I can use in the future as well having something that I must sell to somebody completely random I mean, it, I'm not selling it, right? It's not costing them anything other than their time, but still I'm, I need to convince them of doing something for me, right? At the beginning, of course, it was awkward because I had never done it before. I was like afraid of being rejected, but being rejected is the worst thing that can happen to me. It's not like there is an you know, atomic power plant yeah. exploding behind me or something. That's literally the worst thing that can happen. And is this something bad? Is this really that big of a disaster? I really don't think so anymore. I'm pretty cool with that if people don't have time for that then that's just their life yeah I, I don't want to interfere with that yeah awesome amazing and I want to ask for anyone who wants to start their own YouTube channel or be it hobby or be it a way to create additional channel passive income where can they start what are the mistakes they should avoid what are the best practices they should adopt I think I have some good best practices but just because you mentioned the word passive income, I just would like to tell you a little story and then I'll go to the best practices. It's actually very interesting to have YouTube in the perspective of passive income because sometimes a video gets viral after two or three years of not being watched that much. And then you still make money through it, even though you haven't really, you don't need to do any work for it. For example, in October 2019, I was in Italy, in uh, Torino, and I asked the Italians what they think about uh, Switzerland and it was quite funny but back then it wasn't like it was like the news were normal not nothing extraordinary in January to February 2021 so that's two years later suddenly this video received so much attention that I made another 500 US dollars through it but I did not have to work for that it was just being in the internet and existing. I welcome this money coming into my pocket, of course. So that's the, the story I want to tell. So if you produce videos and it doesn't work out right away, just maybe give it some time. But for me, the most important best practice is that people have the wrong approach when starting YouTube. They have the approach of artists, which means they think I'm going to produce a video and I'm going to make it 
enormously good and then I'm going to wait until I feel like making another one. And then maybe the next time they feel like making another one is three months later and then the next time with six months later and it just, it's not regular. On YouTube, there's so much content. Think of yourself being a restaurant. If you close for three months, people are just going to go to another restaurant and forget about your food. So you must constantly produce a new product. So if you do the approach of an artist, you better have a good manager in your back. If you are just on yourself, better think as if you were a company or the easiest is as if you were a restaurant. People sometimes just come to you because they're hungry. It doesn't have to be like a Guide Michelin meal. It doesn't have to be the best meal on YouTube. It just has to be a good meal that people will come back again. That's my approach. And it has worked for me. I see a lot of very talented people starting YouTube, but because the first video isn't, you know, has cost them a lot of effort that isn't watched by anybody, they will give up or maybe make a new video about half a year later. And it just doesn't, it used to work like this in like 2010, but now it's 2021. The platform has changed so dramatically that you should think as a restaurant. I like this analogy. <laughs> and so if people run a YouTube channel like a restaurant, and is there any way that to get more traffic besides relying on, you know, YouTube algorithm itself? Is there any way that they can do themselves proactively? I think that at the beginning, it might, you know, make sense to show the content to your friends and ask them for what they think is good and what they think should be made better. Don't be hesitant to receive critic because with critic, you can uh, make your videos be better, be more enjoyable to watch. And for me, for example, I like, you know, because I'm making the street interview. It's just an example. I hope people can learn through this example. I like to go to small places of Switzerland because when I interview somebody there and all his friends see this video, they will share it in some WhatsApp group. And then everybody in this WhatsApp group sees this. And maybe some of them are going to watch my video as well, subscribe to me as well, and continue watching my videos even in other places. So this is why a place like Basel or Zurich, which are like the, the biggest and the third biggest uh, city in Switzerland. They're nice, but if I go to some smaller city where literally, you know, everybody knows each other, to say it simply, sometimes the effect is bigger than if I go to a very dense populated area. Also, I see it as a, you leverage on their own networks to cross-promote the video. Exactly. So you not only have your own network, but there's also other people with their own network. And if you can get other people to promote your video to their network, if you can add some, some value, if you know, let's say you, you're person A and you want person B to help you introduce your video into the network B, then maybe talk about person B in your video. Mm -hmm. Make it about person B. Mm -hmm. Give the video some value that person B will really appreciate and uh, they will share it. Yeah. Now there's a saying, I mean, this sounds kind of morbid, but I'm not sure if this works in English, but I'm trying it anyways. Okay. Don't laugh at me if it sounds, <laughs> if you want to get milk from a cow, you must bend down. So okay. Means, How so would you say that in German? Yeah, so would you like me to say it in Swiss German? I don't know if you have some. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, wer will, muss yeah, so you kind of must, don't be shy to, you know, kind of serve other people if you yeah, want something yeah. from them. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> okay, I'm very glad to have you here sharing your insights. And uh, really, I'm sure the audience also learned so much from you. I think my only last question, very last question to you as a person, like, do you plan to continue this career long term? 
or how did you envision yourself in the future with this content and with your law studies? So as long as my studies allow me to do this, I will, because it's really a lot of fun. I enjoy having a challenge. I have to say I neglected the work on my Chinese channel a little bit in the last couple of months. So I am trying to build this you know, up a bit more than before because uh, I feel that there might be a bigger audience that could watch that than the, with Swiss German, who knows? And I'll see what the future brings. What I want to say is that because I speak Chinese, I think once I become a lawyer, there might be some gates opening that I don't know about yet. However, you know, it's difficult to say. I'm trying to live the moment, but then there's also aspects of mine that are long plan, you know, long-term investing, for example. But with, you know, my everyday present life, I really try to live in the right now. I can just say as long as this works, as long as the videos are fun to make, which they are, and as long as they, you know, offer me a perspective to still grow through them, then I will continue to make them. You know, I will not abandon the track of being a law student and eventually becoming a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, so many years study. And yeah, um, I just completed the third out of seven years now. Wow. So you have uh, four more years to go. Exactly. Wow. You know, life is hard. <laughs> But then you interview people in the street. It's fun. Yeah, you know, I actually have people that when I interview them, when I'm done with the interview, they say, you're a law student, right? I say, yes. They ask me, you know, I, I have this and that problem. What can I do? And It's really unfortunate because I'm not really allowed to help them because I'm not a lawyer. It's like, I don't want to go into details with the regulation. And it's also, you know, a kind of like question of liability, which I do not yes. want to take for my answers. I'm sure you know, you know, like more or less what I'm talking about. So for that reason, I have, always have to say, you know, you must wait four years. But then they say, okay, I'm going to wait four years. So <laughs> I already have some clients. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I think you will have so much opportunities in the future, be it content creation, sponsorship, advertisement, or additional income stream, or your studied, you know, the profession being a lawyer in the future. It's going to be interesting. And I'm also looking forward to more videos, practice my Swiss German with you in your video and um, watch your Chinese channel. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. So if the audience are interested, Check out Leonia. Do you have any other words for our audience who wants to, you know, interest in studying YouTube channel, create passive income? Any last advice or you know, uh, hello, fast track podcast audience? Nice to hear you all. Now I don't hear you, but nice you hear me. I would say if you want to make YouTube videos, just do trial and error. If it doesn't work out, try something new, but uh, don't think too much about it. Just try it and then be consistent. I had to wait one and a half years until, you know, people really started watching my videos. Nice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fast Track Podcast. Show me your support by liking this episode and sharing it with your friends. Join the Facebook group at Fast Track Podcast One, or you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and of course, the homepage, FastTrack.Live. See you in the next episode.